Welcome to the San Antonio Baptist Association. You're listening to a Sabbath Talks podcast. My name is Pastor Chad Shapiro from Ignite Community Church. I want to welcome you to listening to Saba Talks podcast number four. If you happen to listen or miss the last three episodes, make sure to go back and listen to those. They were powerful, leading us up to where we are today. Incredible panel with me, and I would love for us to get a chance to introduce ourselves, and then we'll jump in to today's topic about church history examples of disruption. I'm Daryl Horn, director of Saba. Glad you're listening. I'm Elizabeth Coffey, and I'm with the Baptist General Convention of Texas. Omar Martinez, Executive Pastor at Mighty Fortress Church in San Antonio. I'm Pastor Dante Banks, and for some reason they keep inviting me back here. (laughs) (laughs) I'm the pastor of God Chases Community Church in San Antonio. I'm Gary Patterson, the pastor of Berean Barber Fellowship San Antonio. Uh, Thank you guys for being here with us. And uh, so just to jump in there, turn it over to Dr. Horn, who will get us started with today's topic. Uh, sorry for my voice today. I'm struggling, but we have a great topic to talk about innovative uh, disruptions that have occurred in church history. Uh, we have a number of things that we'd like to suggest as either uh, disruptive innovations or sustaining innovations. The first one is Sunday school. There was a time in... Um, in Christianity when we didn't have Sunday school. And it was born in out of a need in 1780 in England. There were a lot of uh, children who were working that didn't have schooling and were not taught to read or write. And in some ways, according to the culture of that time, they were very undisciplined. So uh, two guys looked around a, a guy named Rake and a guy named Stock looked around and saw the need and decided that they were going to start schools to train children who were working. And one of the best days of the week to train those children was on Sunday. They also had evening classes, but they, they taught them to read, to write, and they taught them arithmetic and catechism. They actually taught them the Bible. So this became the um, the basis for Sunday school. And 200 years later, Sunday school is still going on. It was a very effective tool that uh, came out of a particular need. I've, I've got in my hand, if you were here in the studio, I've got in my hand uh, a book by a guy named Arthur Flake. It was written in 1922. It was uh, among Baptists. He was the Sunday school guy. The The original copy is called Building a Standard Sunday School. And he goes through uh, how, to, how to start from scratch to build a Sunday school. Flake's formula, um, the whole book is boiled down to, to five items. Know your possibilities. Enlarge your organization. Provide space. Enlist and train workers and go after the people. Now, he took an idea that was at least 140 years old and tweaked it, a sustaining innovation. I believe it was a disruptive innovation to get started, but he took an innovation, tweaked it, (coughs) and it became a a standard practice for a whole denomination. (coughs) How many of you all grew up 
in the Sunday school system. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What What right. are some of you, What are some of the things you remember about a Sunday school? Graham crackers. <laughs> <laughs> well, I I remember the first time um, the gospel making sense to me was inside of Sunday school. Wow. So I remember exactly where I was. I remember my my leader, Miss Cameron. And I remember that moment really clearly um, as someone who is, so I'm, I'm a full disclosure. And I, I, for those of you who can't see around the table, there's a really great uh, representation of age and um, at the table. And that's a really encouraging thing to me. I'm 31 years old um, and I love Sunday school. So I might be abnormal uh, for some people in my peer group, but I want to tell you why. Um, and part of it is because that's where I met Jesus. No. Two, that's when I heard when I learned about the history of Sunday school. As someone who cares to be socially engaged in my in my city and in my neighborhood, um, all of a sudden it made sense to me, and it was something I could connect with. Whether that's why we still do it today or not, it's um, is besides the point to me. To understand the history and the story behind Sunday school made me love it that much more. Um, and, uh, so I am a Sunday school teacher, uh, and I, I love it and I, I'm for it. It has nothing to do to me. That's what it means to be dedicated to my, my community of believers is to be part of something that they value. And so I continue to value it and I'm grateful for it. Anyone else? Experience with Sunday school. Uh, let me move on. Another... <coughs> I think another pivotal point in the life of the church was the first seven councils in, in church history. And it was after that that the church became divided between the East and the West. But in those first seven councils, the church established orthodoxy, established doctrinal clarity. And in that way, it... Uh, it was driving a stake in the ground that set the uh, set the tone for the rest of church history. The deity of Christ, the Trinity, some of our other basic doctrines that we have were decided in the first seven councils of the church. It's um, I I think part of um, part of the discouragement I have sometimes is. Not everybody knowing our church history mm -hmm. and being able to to appreciate the tradition with which we've grown up with. The belief that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, yes, it's taught in Scripture, but it's a part of our church history. Right. It's a part of the clarity of doctrine that we've had over time. Uh, another one is uh, Martin Luther King writing his 95 thesis. Martin Luther. Yes, I'm sorry. <laughs> Martin Luther King's coming We out. are in this. Right. Yes. Yes. Yeah, this, is, this, is, this is the month we celebrate this. So we yeah. are. Yeah. yeah, Martin Luther uh, has become in Western history someone very significant. And uh, he spent his early years as a relatively anonymous monk and scholar. But in 1517, Luther penned a document that talked about in selling indulgences and the abolition of sin based on selling those indulgences. And his, um, his two basic beliefs 
<coughs> was that the Bible is the central religious authority and that humans can only be saved through faith. Those two things, taking us back to the Bible being authority or mm-hmm. authoritative, and it's not the church, mm-hmm. it's not church doctrine, but it's the Scripture, and then being saved by faith, not by works. Mm-hmm. That has affected us all right. in, in, in growing up in the, what we believe today. Dr. Horn, can I, can I accent the biblical history that you with the technological history? Mm-hmm. And put those two movements mm-hmm. together, just so we can see them as a whole, because disruptive all, disruption also happened technologically around the ninety five thesis. And let mm-hmm. me illustrate that: the printing press the printing was press. born mm-hmm. in the same time. That's right. Yeah. So our whole secular education system was impacted in the same era, in that the ninety five thesis could be spread to a lot of people because people were largely ignorant at that time of reading in the sense of reading. And so with the printing press, able to publish Martin Luther's thesis, in a way, that was revolutionary and it was disruptive to that society because now people could read. Secular history, uh, from my recollection about it, I'm dusting off some cobwebs out of this to try to get to that, separates pre-modernism, which goes back, to modernism beginning along with the Protestant Reformation and the printing press and all of the universities that we have right now that we we attend, Oxford and all of our, our universities in America, sprang out of the movement that was starting at, as modernism started. And so modernism, uh, at least theologically, and then in the secular world, it, it has its movement all the way up to 1960. So the Protestant Reformation rides along with modernism, along with rationalism. And so those things, they travel as a group together. And so when we talk about disruption, we're talking about disruption of periods of human history. Mm-hmm. Yes. That the Protestant Reformation being centered in the whole movement of modernism worldwide. And I want I want to tie that back to what we were just talking about with Sunday school. So yes, you know the the printing press and making words on paper accessible to more people uh, was itself a disruptive innovation. At the same time, it was for an elite group of people, people who had access to education, people who could afford books. Mm-hmm. And then Sunday school comes in and says this is for everybody. And so you do see just going off of what Gary said, the church intertwining with this and saying, we're going to use this technological advancement to make what, what make this message that is for all accessible to all, um, and teach people to read. And I think, yeah, I think that's so important to tie together, um, that, uh, we can leverage something that uh, still is really only focusing on one sect and one group of people uh, to bring down to a level that um, anybody has access to read and, and uh, have a copy of the Word of God. So, so you're saying you can leverage something that already exists and still have disruption? Mm. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We're, you can le- yes. you can leverage something so. that already exists, and cre- because of again because of the audience or maybe the uh, access um, for people who don't have access for it, you can le- leverage something that already. I think that's significant that you yeah. can take something that exists. Um, cars existed before Uber came along, 
rides existed. Mm-hmm. I used to ask for rides all the time. <laughs> rides existed before Uber came along, but ride sharing um, it was leveraged, uh, and I think that's beautiful. Yeah, thank you. No, thank you. And let me piggyback on that. And then I just had one quick point, and that was, and that is, uh, yeah, there's a lot of whether it's a community, just like we haven't reached every single person with the gospel yet, and generations are continuing to come up. I mean, we always have to introduce and reintroduce those things that are exist and are there to continue to do that disruption again and again and again. It's like you don't do it once and you stop doing it. And what's fascinating about this topic is that that church history that affects us now and the way we do church and the way we deliver the gospel. Um, Even order of worship was one. An order of worship, two songs, prayer, you know, two songs, you know, message, tithe and close kind of structure is also something that influences the way we uh, model our, our church services, which is uh, something that was introduced as well. But you, you look at somebody even younger than, than you, like my son, who's 14, the way he sees church and he's grown up in church and sees it has been influenced by, you know, all these years and, and um disruptions that have occurred but many of them have taken root to where they're still impacting future generations mm-hmm. and so when, we're, when we are introducing disruption you know maybe sometimes are we completely considering is this going to carry on and how many generations for is, is what i'm about to do that going to impact that's good real good how, how has um modern technology disrupted things as far as the way we do i i remember a time when uh, you had one person at the pulpit and you sang out of a hymn and everybody sang out of the hymn and you held the hymnal and you looked down where <clears throat> where it, it moved to putting things on a screen and everybody looking up mm-hmm. and not having anything in your hands. How, yeah. how has technology changed the way that we worship? Well, I think about a satellite. I think we were talking about this on a previous example where TBN is reaching areas where maybe they don't even have any other channels to be able to uh, watch. And so you have all these people gathered around a, a TV. That, And I've seen this even with people I know here, even on local <laughs> stations, where they got tired of watching what was on their only three or four channels, but because... Uh, there was some some uh, preaching going on, some services going on, some praise and worship going on the TV that they were watching the messages. And you think about that reaching unreached people through technology like TV. Same thing on the internet now. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you think about uh, we we'll stay on TBM for a second, but you think about all the great pastors and ministers who we know about now who were born out of TBN. I mean, TBN is our ESPN. Yeah. It is for for yeah. for Christian people. It is where we can go and, and watch. And actually, we've created heroes yeah. out of that programming. And I think yeah. that's interesting that the church sort of <clears throat> took that turn. Um, and again, one of those things, TBN was started in uh, 1973. Nobody really knew about it, you know, yeah. till the early 80s in, in that space. So sometimes disruption does take a long time. But, uh, you know, when you have a mission and you're dedicated to that mission and dedicated to an audience that you can serve, I, I think there's value always. If I throw in, in kind of locally, like at church, um, you, you kind of see there, there's some themes and not everybody's adopting these themes and there's different um, congregations. But 
because of accessibility to technology, now more churches have the lighting and the projection systems and right. the bigger band scenarios. And it's almost there's this there's this uh, presentation that comes forward, and it's not a show. We know it's not a show. A lot of them are worshiping, but for some, they they they're almost getting mistaken for exactly how to worship God with doing. Um, that present focusing on that presentation because right. the technologies allow them to get the flashy lights or the fog machines yeah. or you know be on TV or stream live and now you have a different attention and focus on, on what you're presenting and that's one way technology might be influencing uh, how we present the gospel. I want to jump in here too and say something almost completely opposite of what's being said too in that you know what disrupts our technological movement? How is the church disrupting that? And I think that we can pull from really ancient practices, yeah. right? Things that have existed for a long time. Prayer mm -hmm. is disruptive to our culture today. Mm -hmm. Quiet, meditative, contemplative um, mm -hmm. moments throughout the day, uh, that's radical. That's radical <laughs> that's to, a gen to my generation and yeah. generations to follow. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Taking time to sit and read a sacred text with a group of people, yeah, that's radical. Yeah. Who does that yeah. anymore? Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. to not consume and that's to be so a, a consumer of constant 24-hour news cycles and information coming at you constantly, to get off of social media um, and to dedicate time to spiritual disciplines and community, I think those are pretty radical things today. I think that, and there's also some part of me um, uh, believes that this generation craves that. This yeah, this generation so. craves not something something new in that way, but new because it's ancient, yeah. new because it's been around for a long time, and new because um, I mean I think that in some ways we want something big and flashy and. Um, attractive based on the world's definition of, uh, uh, of what attraction should be. But at the end of the day, I think we're just talking about something really ancient mm -hmm. uh, that is itself going to disrupt gener the, our, my generation and the generation to follow. Just a quick comment, Elizabeth, and I know we're running out of time for this podcast, but, but locked to what you just said is the idea of the word tradition. Mm. <clears throat> we have come to a place in our society to want to throw tradition out the out out the way. When we hear that word, we want to respond to it negatively. And I think in our progression that it would be helpful for us to think about tradition as those seven councils. The Trinity was born mm -hmm. in those councils. That's our tradition. So I think we don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater that our traditions are important to hold on to as ancient as they are because they're the fabric of our faith, while yet we may change our methodology of delivering our message That's without right. leaving our tradition. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I hope we can have a podcast sometime to just liberate yeah. so that we, we, we can mm -hmm. redefine yeah, it right. in our own Wikipedia uh, so that we can liberate and hold on to the ancients and our traditions that are important to project as the content of whatever we do in the future. So great, so great. We have time just for a quick recap, if we could go around the table. I think from considering disruptive innovation in church history, we see that there were moments in church history 
where God intervened and clarified doctrine and clarified the direction of the church. We don't want to lose that. Disruptive innovation is not tearing down something to create something new. We want to embrace what God has given us, but do it in the context that we currently live in. It's good. I think that I I continue just to cling to um, ancient and sacred things that have stood the test of time and believe that introducing those into the the (coughs) busyness and the chaos of culture today uh, will be in and of itself continue to be a disruptive act. That's great. As we go forward through through the whole series of this whole podcast series since episode one, you know, it continue it's ministering to me and helping shape how I feel disruption could could benefit the church in a positive benefit, reaching people that we haven't reached before, and that's where the disruption kind of belongs, from my perspective. Right. I think about the uh, the idea of holiness and separation. Um, that God uh, was the first disruptive innovator by creating just a, a separate people. And he called Abraham separate and the people who were born out of Abraham separate. Um, we're, we are called to be holy. And I, I think that in itself is the first sort of step of disruptive innovation in the church, uh, the first of many. Two disruptors, 1600 Martin Luther, 1900 Martin Luther King, mm. two disruptors, both men of God, shaking the fabric and tapestry of all human history on a place called Earth. Mm. So powerful. Not to forget where we came from it has a lot to do with where we are heading. And I thank you for listening to uh, podcast number four of Saba Talks. Definitely share it, like, comment, get the word out, and look forward to uh, podcast number five. Take care and God bless you. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Sabbath Talks podcast. We look forward to continuing our conversation next time in hopes of better